All right, there it is. All right. So uh, we've talked in the last two weeks about how to read the stories in the Old Testament. And I've actually, I've gotten a lot of good feedback from y'all about those, um, about those steps and things. If you haven't been with us, the audio for that is online um, on the website, the church's website. So if you want to go back and listen to it, it's there. Um, uh, it was actually interesting because this Sunday, Ash and I got to talking and actually the sermon from this past Sunday was a good example of those steps that we talked about because you had the final verse there in chapter three that was important. Then there was a lot of <laughs> details that kept coming up and reincurring. And it was, if you looked at the wider range of the book that told you some stuff. So that, um, that was actually kind of cool how this, this Sunday actually had a lot of stuff that kind of went along with what we we're doing on Wednesday. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that uh, what we keep going on is as helpful to you guys as the last one was with the narratives. I don't anticipate us going as slow as the other ones. There's four more less lessons I want to do. Uh, I don't foresee us taking two weeks per thing like we did with the narratives, because I feel like the stories are a little bit harder to um, kind of get in a groove of understanding how, what, how to look at them and that kind of stuff. I think we'll be able to breeze through some of the other ones a little bit quicker. It only have one a week. And so today I want us to talk about how to read Old Testament poetry. Uh, you guys remember, we've been here the last few weeks, we talked about how there are three major types of writing or three major genres in the bible you have stories you have poetry and you have prose you might be hearing josie i don't know if you can or not <laughs> um you have poetry and you have prose and uh, for poetry i mean you have a ton of that in the old testament uh, most of the old testament story but i mean when you look at the Psalms with 150 chapters, and then of course all the wisdom books, Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and a lot of what the prophets wrote, I mean, it's amazing how much of the Old Testament is poetry. You really don't see that much poetry in the New Testament, so we're not going to talk about poetry in the New Testament. Uh, we'll just talk about it in the Old. Um, but we talked about how each genre was written to do a certain thing, and I think that's why God gave us different ways of reading is because it reaches a different part of who we are and where the stories reached our mind and our imagination, the poems touch our hearts and our feelings. I always tell people um, there's a difference between a love poem and a five paragraph essay on what is love. You know, if I, <laughs> If it was our anniversary, Ash and I anniversary, and I decide to write her a five paragraph essay, and maybe the, you know the teachers might enjoy this, or you have an introduction, and you're I'm gonna give you three reasons why I love you. Here's reason number one, paragraph three, reason number two, paragraph reason number three, paragraph, and those are the three reasons why I love you. Conclusion sentence. You know that would certainly be an interesting way of going about it, but it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't feel that emotional compared to a love story or love poem. I mean. Um, like some of my favorite are written by Edgar Allan Poe. Some of those poems that are love poems are just amazing when you, the feelings you feel about them. And the Hebrew poetry is the same way, and we can't forget that. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. 
So what um, what are the he what is the Hebrew poetry? What are some things that characterize it? <clears throat> so the Hebrew poetry being Psalms, the wisdom books, which is Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song and Solomon, and then some of the prophets they wrote in poetry. What people who wrote in poetry were doing is they were looking at scripture and they were looking at their lives and they were basically writing about how they felt or what was going on or their reaction where those two things collided. It could be scripture and their lives were conflicting. It could be that they were going well together, but it's basically their reaction to seeing reality and seeing scripture interacting with each other. And so that's why if you read, especially the Psalms, they're so intense because, I mean, as y'all would understand, if you go through a tragedy or something like that, um, you can have really intense emotions about it, especially when you start thinking about what you believe about God and what scripture says, and you compare that to the stuff going on in your own life, it can have result in intense emotions. And the psalmist and the prophets too kind of show that also, which is neat. It, it shows that they are being genuine and that we're not the only ones that feel that way, which I'm, I'm thankful for. Um, the, other, the third thing, so the poems reflect on scripture and reality at the same time. They are written to touch emotions in the heart. Third, they usually use images in order to convey their idea. Um, they like to use a lot of metaphors, a lot of illustrations, and that's a little bit different. You know, Jim, we want, normally we wouldn't convey information by telling images or pictures, but that's what they were doing. And then lastly, what's different about Hebrew poetry that's actually helpful once you know what it, it is, is they didn't write they, by repeating sounds like we do. You know, when we write a poem, the end of the each line will match each other, or it would be like the first line of match and the third line of match or something like that. They didn't match sounds. They matched ideas. So each verse, all or uh, when you look at a verse in scripture, and if you open your Bibles, you'll see this. What they were doing is the first line and the second line is matching somehow in an idea it could be an exact match just said in a different way it could be an opposite as if it was a coin you got heads and tails so it's the same idea it's just given the opposite of it or it could be just a little bit step further like they give you here then they give you here on the second idea but that can be helpful because sometimes when you're reading you're like i have no idea what this one line means well if you don't know what that one line means you can just go to the next line and it'll clarify it for you because it basically says the same thing just in a different way so once you realize that each verse really you need to take a verse at a time and not a line at a time when you look at poetry it kind of narrows down the number of ideas or number of things you need to look at instead of there being like 20 or 30 there might be only 10 and that helps you out when you can start to look at things to understand what's happening. So that's what a poem is. Let me tell you about some difficulties we got to overcome with Hebrew poetry um, that I could think of. And there's two in my mind. 
one dealing with the book of Psalms and one dealing with the book of Proverbs. With the book of Psalms, there's these things in there called the imprecatory Psalms. I-M-P-R-E-C-A-T-O-R-Y. And basically, that's where the psalmist wishes that God would do something tragic to their enemy, um, harm their enemy in some way. And that, it, we called, I call that a difficult passage because when we read that kind of stuff in the Old Testament, um, a lot of times, I don't know about you guys, but it can be kind of shocking. Like, wow, this guy's really pretty upset. He's really wanting some bad stuff. And it's usually not like, I mean, I'm talking, it can get bad with some of the stuff they wish upon these people. Like, may, your, may you and your kids and your grandkids all die, that kind of stuff. So how do we deal with those parts of the, of the Psalms? Um, there's two things that we got to remember when we see that happen. Really three. I just remembered that one. The first is remember that they're expressing emotions. So when somebody wrongs you and you're upset, you usually are pretty emotional about it. And that's how these guys were. I mean, they, they, they were upset. And that emotion was getting poured out in their psalms. And we got to realize that. Secondly, they usually weren't upset because somebody had done something to them. They were upset because God was looking bad because of what happened. If you actually look at those imprecatory psalms, the thing they're concerned about is that God is, his honor is getting hurt. His justice is getting hurt. And they don't want God to look bad. And they care so much that God's honor and his justice stands that um, they prayed those psalms. And it's kind of when we realize that it's almost of a conviction against us because we usually don't view God's honor as being that important. They view honoring God as being way more important to us. And that's really a thing on us, not on them. We probably should care more about God's honor than we do. And then finally, we need to recognize what they were doing. And that is they were not going out and actually seeking revenge. They were taking their concern to God and asking that God would have his justice on people. So they were doing what, basically what the New Testament says. The New Testament says, you know, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give up your second coat, and then let God be just and do the justice when bad stuff happens that's what the psalmists are doing they're not the ones seeking revenge they're crying out to god and asking god to do the justice on these people so that helps us and when you hit those parts of the psalms i don't uh i don't know if you've ever seen those but it can be bad and then with proverbs and we'll get into these steps um the problem i've seen with proverbs is people think that their promises or their rules when the proverbs aren't promises and they're not rules the pro the proverbs are basically uh somebody the person who wrote it could be solomon asaph um it was somebody who was godly who knew scripture and then they were looking at the world and describing the world through the lens of scripture and through the lens of God and their description there. So their descriptions of the world, not promises of what could happen. Um, so the classic example of that is the, the 
proverb that says, train up the child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. Um, see, a lot of people have used that as a promise to parents that if you, if you do everything right, then your kid's definitely going to turn out okay. But that's not a promise. It's just a, it's a general observation that people who tend to parent well tend to have kids that turn out well, but not every time. And that's, that's what the problem was with Job. The, the, the Job's friends saw the Proverbs as being promises. And they, so when bad things happened to Job, they were like, well, obviously he's wicked because, because the Proverbs says that bad things happen to wicked people. And the book of Job reminds us that not always, they're not promises. Uh, and they're also not laws, as in it's not a sin to break a proverb, but you, the Bible says you're foolish to do it. Uh, so you wouldn't sin if you didn't do a proverb, but you would be foolish for not following a proverb. And uh, because they're God-sanctioned good ideas, basically. So when you read Proverbs, if you remember those things in mind, it really helps out, especially if you look at the world and you ever see a proverb not working out like it says, you'll realize, oh, that's because it's not really a promise or a law. It's just a general observation that uh, a person who feared the Lord saw when he was studying scripture and looking at the world. Uh, before I get into, I have, um, I have uh, five steps for the Psalms. Anybody have any comments or questions about those things I just said? Anything that confused you or you, you want clarification about? Or just have a comment? What about the difference that they placed on life? And what we, we, play, we place life very high. But I don't think that they did as much. Because it was, death was... You could be punished for uh, and put to death for things that we wouldn't even think of putting people to death for. So do you do you see a difference in the their view of of um, death or murder or whatever you want to say now or today? Um, I wouldn't say they had a like a low importance of life. Um, what they did is they had a higher view of justice than we do. Um, and for them, an honor. So for them, for something bad to happen and for justice not to happen and God's honor not to be rectified, that was seen as being really, really bad. Where we, I mean, if, if somebody dishonors God, which we see almost every day, if you just turn on the TV, I mean, we almost don't even think about it anymore. It just blows past our minds. But, I mean, the stuff that we would just blow past our minds, they would get very upset about. So I don't think it was they had a lower view of life. I think they just had a greater respect for God being honored and glorified than we do. And like I said, that's that's really a knock on us. That's not a knock on them. Um, so, I, and I think that goes along with when you talk about um, – killing people for like the capital punishment. I think that's related to that view. So I hope that answered your question. Close enough. (laughs) 
All right. It sounds like I'm the best teacher in the world and nobody has questions, which is what I like. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but uh, uh, we got five steps. The reason why, by the way, if you ever wonder why I look at these and I can't tell how many steps I have is because on my outline, I usually do it in numbers instead of, I mean, in letters instead of numbers. And so I'm looking at that and I go A through E. Oh man, how many, how many letters is A through E? So it takes me a sec to count up. <laughs> Uh, I probably should put it as numbers and not letters in my outline. But anyways, um, similar to the narratives, there's uh, three things you can do to kind of find the point of a poem. That's, in, that's an Old Testament Hebrew poem. Uh, and then the last two steps are the same, but I'll talk about the uniqueness of the poetry. So the first thing you can do is you visualize what the author is describing and feeling. Like I said, the poems are meant to describe emotions and they're meant to convey images. So if that's their point, one of the first things you can do in order to truly understand a poem is actually take the time to visualize in your head what both the images and the emotions that the author is feeling. And if you do that, sometimes that'll help you understand what the point of the poem is. Secondly, you can map out the progression that the poem takes. Um, and this is helpful because most poems are not in a logical order. They're not, there's some that are logical arguments like Psalm one, but most poems aren't a logical argument. They usually move either from one image to another image or they move from one feeling to another feeling. Um, or in, in the case of some Psalms, they're talking about an author's experience and then his next experience, then his next experience. And so if you map out the changes of those three, those things, we'll see later that that can help you actually apply that poem to your life because sometimes that progression that you see in the poem can be true for your own life as well. Third, look for verses that directly say something about God or directly say something about humanity. And for the poems, since the poem, the authors are looking at scripture and looking at reality and seeing how they interact, you can, al you can also ask the question, what is the relationship between what he believes and what he feels? What's the relationship between what he believes and what he feels? Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it makes him <laughs> confused. Sometimes the psalmist is confused. Um, sometimes he's sad. Sometimes he's angry. And it's usually a relationship between what he believes about God and what he's seeing. So after you do those three things, you've kind of visualized what the author is describing and feeling. You've mapped up out the progression that the poem takes, whatever that progression is. And you look at those sentences that talk about God and see how they relate to how he feels. The fourth step is the same as narratives. You think theology. And so you can do that by doing stuff like, um, you know, really, I mean, it's related to the last one. But what, what does this passage actually say about God and about humanity and about how I should feel? Um, and what does it say about how humanity should respond to God? You can ask those questions. And then finally, apply it to yourself. 
So you can take the question and say, do I, have I in my past or now ever felt the way the author feels? Um, do I respond like the author responds or do I respond in the prophets like the author wants me to respond? Um, and then finally, you can even as an application, actually, is you can in the Psalms pray that Psalm as if it's your own prayer. That's why the mapping it out can help because you can actually, if once you map out the way the Psalm goes, you can then use that as an outline and actually pray your own prayer based on the outline of the Psalm. And if y'all been watching my videos during the week, I do that a lot during the week for those. It's an easy way of applying a Psalm. And of course, with the wisdom literature, you, you can ask yourself, um, you know, am I following this? Maybe what are some specific aspects of my life that I can apply that to? Uh, another cool thing you can do with the, the Proverbs to, is you can memorize them. That's, that's actually an application because the Proverbs were writ written to be memorized. The purpose of a proverb is to memorize it. So an application of a proverb is simply to memorize one. And it'll probably help you a lot, you know, during the week if you did. So you got these five steps. You, you can look, you can visualize what the author's going through. You can map out how the poem progresses. You look for those sentences that talk about God and humanity and how they relate. Think about the theology of what that teaches and then ask yourself, am I doing the same things? Am I feeling the same way? Um, is the author telling me to do something? Am I doing it? Is there something I could memorize? That kind of stuff. And if you do that, the poetry becomes a lot more tangible to you and it becomes a lot more meaningful to you because it's not just weird, you know, words, but it's actually something that can teach you something about God and yourself. So anybody have any questions about the, uh, those steps? And I was going to, um, after I answer questions, I was going to pull up a Psalm or two just randomly and have us go through them and look at that. So anybody got any questions about those steps? Don't do that. Is that somebody? Is there a proverb that you would, or two or three that you would particularly recommend that we analyze this way? Um, I, I mean, in terms of the proverbs, the first nine <laughs> verses are good for visualizing this way. A lot of, especially for young people, I think, because it's kind of geared to young people in the first nine verses. Um, chapter 31 of Proverbs is a good way to view this way. Um, and then I, I have Proverbs that I personally like, like Proverbs, I think it's 2131. See if I can pull it up. Which one? Proverbs 2131. Proverbs 21. I think, let me, let me check to make sure I'm right. Yeah, 2131. It says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, victory belongs to the Lord. So with that proverb, for example, to look at that, to study that, you can visualize what it says. So you can visualize in your head 
a horse, a battle horse, having all of its armor, having all of its preparations being trained, but realizing that even as they charge into battle, that the victory has nothing to do with the armor they have on or their training has everything to do with whether the Lord's with them. Um, You can look to see what it says about humanity and about God, which is step three. So it says that victory belongs to God. So it doesn't belong to us. Um, And you can, you know, apply that to yourself, ask it to yourself. Do I respond like that? Do I act like that? The reason why I like this verse is because I think it applies well to me being a pastor. It's always been kind of a verse that I've taken with preaching um, because it says the horse is prepared for the day of battle. So it's not like they were unprepared for battle. I mean, they did everything they can to do battle. But in the end, they always knew that victory belonged to the Lord. So that's why that verse has meant a lot to me, because uh, for preaching purposes, I'm like I'm preparing for battle as much as I can. But in the end, preparations all won't do so much. I have to rely on the Lord for victory. So that's how I've applied that to myself. That's good. Let's see if I can find a nice short psalm that we can look at. (laughs) Do Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Nobody call out Psalm 119. No, that's too long. Yeah. All right. So, um, somebody would like, if anybody has their Bible open, somebody would like to read Psalm 100. It's only five verses. I can. Okay. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Right, I had good. to memorize that in vacation Bible school when I was ten or twelve years old, and it was it was something that was special. That's the poem that I had on Jim Richards' obituaries at his funeral. That was a lot of people have the twenty third Psalm, but Psalm one hundred was the one that that's the one that means so much to me. It's a good one. All right, so step one is visualize what the author is describing, what the author is feeling. So would somebody tell us what you think the author, uh, or maybe describe for us the scene that the author is painting and what the author is feeling as he looks on that scene? Thanksgiving. Yeah, he's certainly feeling Thanksgiving. 
happy. <laughs> Just feeling happy. Joy. Mm-hmm. Praising and giving thanks. Yeah. Celebrating. Celebrating. I see it like a celebration when you're. It's like springtime. You're you're going and you're going in a groove. It's like mass worship, and you're celebrating and singing, and it's like a parade almost. Yeah, that's how I see it too. Uh, you know, not just being glad, but almost like a group being glad together, like that. Well, I, I, parade. I see. I see movement with with music. You know. Yeah, almost like dancing and happy yeah. and joy sleeping around and yeah, it, it was all in Hebrew, but and I so core I couldn't understand it. But when I was in Israel, on a couple of different occasions, there would be people in the middle of the street walking and praising God like that, just um, just praising it's God. Joyful like this one is. Mm -hmm. Had music and singing and praising God. It's it's hard to be still when you're happy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So the so that's the first step, and as y'all can see, I mean, you've already almost gotten some out of it just by doing that first step. You know, even if you just read that psalm, do that first step, and it makes you smile, you've gotten something out of it. That's because that's what the point of that part of the point of that psalm is. I'll do the step two because this one's so short. Um, there's almost not a progression. Um, but the progression in this one is he has four verses where he's talking, telling all this stuff that he's in, almost inviting everybody, like Joyce said, inviting everybody to join them and having this huge group uh, celebrating. And then verse five it tells you why they're celebrating. So you have four verses of people celebrating and then one verse of somebody saying why you should join with them and be happy with them. Um, that's the progression of that one. Do y'all see how I got that? Mm -hmm. The uh, the secret for me with that was verse five is the only one that doesn't start with a verb. Verse one starts with shout, verse two with serve, verse three with no, verse four with enter. Those are all verbs. And then verse five doesn't start with a verb. So that, that's kind of a clear indication that it's a little different than the others. Um, so what, is, what are some places in here that it says something about God or about humans? our relationship and stuff. There's several things in here he says. We're Step three. We belong what? to him. We're we belong sheep. to him. Yeah, we're his sheep. He's our pastor. He made us. Made us. I think when it's inner gates with Thanksgiving in there, I think it separates him from us. We're. I just envision the people with like their flowers here and everything walking toward him and you enter into his gates and to the courts because so you're elevating yourself every time you get closer to God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. He you know, gates one is separate from us. So what? I said, you know, that's one of my favorite songs because I've always memorized it and then go back to it. And, uh, 
that's one. There's one. There's one more thing about God that y'all missed. Um, y'all got verse three pretty good. Uh, but there's another verse in there that has a lot about God. Well, you mean his mercy? Lasting, his truth endures all generation. He is good. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that one. Yeah, he's good. His loving kindness is everlasting. He's faithfulness to all generations. That's talking about God there. All right, so. Four. What, Joyce? I meant Joe. He said 117 tells you that, too. Oh, it starts that. Okay. <laughs> Skipping ahead in the chapters. Uh, and so that we've done steps one through three. Now, step four. Um, what what theology do we learn from this passage about us and about God? Based on what we just talked about. To me, the first four tell us what we're to do. You know, we're to serve, we're to make a joyful noise, we're to serve, we're to, uh, and we're to go to him. And then the last one says what he, he, his, his, uh, what he has for us to offer. And, um, he's our God forever. And he encourages us to praise him in songs, song. He likes, he likes that. God likes that. Yeah, that's true. It says he made us, so that's from creation, right? Is that kind of what you're talking about there as far as theology goes? Yeah, I mean, it certainly plays a part. I mean, when you talk about praising God, praise him because he made us. Yes. We We bless God by submitting ourselves, I would think, too. Mm -hmm. Plus, I just read that. We, it's, it's a good point that I just read. I just read that. <laughs> we're, we're to praise him and be happy in this world, but this is going to continue on, and and we enter into his gates with thanksgiving, then. And yeah, and it's we'll, everlasting, like verse five says. Ever, everlasting. Mm-hmm. It's going to endure forever, this joy. And here's another thing um, related to what Teresa was saying, too. Uh, You know, that praise and stuff comes from the fact that we are God's people and we are his sheep. It says we are his sheep in verse three. And so that praise, we praise him because we're his sheep and we're happy about that. (laughs) We're happy to be a sheep. We're glad we're not lost. All right, so the last step, which is application, applying it to yourself. Um, there's So there's like two things you can do with this one. One is you can ask yourself, um, do I respond to God like Psalm 10? And it's kind of more of a reflective thing. You don't have to answer out loud, but you can say like, is my, do I respond to God like the psalmist responds to God in Psalm 10? Um, yeah. Say what? 100. Not Psalm Psalm 100. You're right. Yeah, my bad. Psalm 100. Uh, Probably all of us would say not to this extent. 
which means we probably have some work to do uh, in worshiping God. And that's a good application lesson from it. The other thing you could do is you can turn this psalm into a prayer. Um, and how you would do that, for example, with this one, is you would simply ask, your, ask God to help you do verses one through four. And uh, the things it says about God, you acknowledge it in him in your prayer. So you could pray and say, God, help me to shout joyfully to you. Help me to serve you with gladness and come before you with singing. God, help me to know that you are God. I'm so thankful that you've made me and I'm one of your sheep. Lord, help me to enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise that I would bless you and thank you with what my life and who I am today. And Lord, I know that you're good and that your loving kindness is everlasting and your faithfulness to all generations. I just want to thank you and praise you for that. Amen. I mean, that's an example of a prayer you could say using Psalm 100. Y'all see how I walk through that? That I really like that way of, of applying the Psalms in particular because I might be the only one that's like this, but sometimes I feel like my prayers get redundant. Like I say the same prayer every day. And so when you do this um, with the Psalms, it kind of forces you to think of things to pray that you've never thought about praying before. So that's Hebrew poetry. Um, we looked at the proverb. We looked at the Psalms. Uh, let me point out. Let me. I just wanted. I'll talk to y'all about the Hebrew parallel, parallelism. Uh, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Verse two says, "Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing." Um, so you can kind of see that those ideas are related, both in being glad and singing, serving God and praising God is being related to worship. So verse two has the same idea of joyful service and worship to God. That's an example of Hebrew poetry. I just want to make sure y'all got, y'all could see what I meant when I said that, that the verses, um, that each verse is an idea, not each line. So, oh, somebody just fell. <laughs> Susie after the cat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I wish we could go through more of these, but I uh, I want to get through the. I want to you know move on and go to other genres, and I'm hoping that uh, maybe after we get done with all the rest of them, we'll, we could have a day where we just pick out whatever y'all want to talk about and study those passages and have reviews but um y'all have any questions about hebrew poetry because we're going to move on to something else next week i'm gonna give you a question uh when i always have try to keep it going when <laughs> I, I never very very often hear a preacher use this type of uh language in his sermon i mean he may he may spend time explaining what's meant by it but he never uses um language like the poetry so it makes it uh, I think huh 
was like, I'm trying to understand what you're what you're what you're saying. You're trying to figure out what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, we don't speak in it poetically. We don't speak that way. No. When you're preaching, you don't preach that way. You may spend the sermon trying to explain what is meant by um, a psalm. Mm -hmm. So I find it very difficult to um, yeah to make that connection. I mean, I, yeah. I listen. I listen to um, a psalm, or you you read a verse or two. I don't get in. I don't get all that out of it. What I get out of it is what's said. Yeah, I don't. Know. And you know that's and that's something that it takes practice um, because we're not ancient Hebrews, so we don't think like ancient Hebrews. So it takes practice to understand but there are people Jim though that are very emotion and feeling driven and for those people maybe what and you, one of the people out here that's also listened to this you know the lesson today might have been great <laughs> because you might have really got it and felt like it really connected to you um, and I think that's partially why God gave us different genres in the Bible because the prose which we'll talk about next week kind of focuses more on ideas and thinking and uh, he probably did that on purpose because everybody has their own preference and personality. When I preach, because you're right, we don't preach in poetry form when we do the Psalms. So what I do when I preach is I try to help people feel the Psalm. Um, if y'all want to go back and listen, because I did Psalms in the summer, I try to convey the Psalm in a way that y'all feel it. So even though I'm not speaking in poetry, hopefully you get go away from it. And you might not even realize I'm doing it. That's the fun part. <laughs> it's a little bit sneaky. You might even not even realize I'm, I'm purposely trying to help you feel the song, but that's what I do. Um, so I convey the ideas also. But yeah, I mean, it's not like I focus the entire sermon on just the feelings of it. It says Salah. Does that mean, um, I've often, uh, I guess I have it written somewhere, that means these things bear repeating. Is that what it is? Uh, yeah, there's various ideas for what Salah means. There, Nobody knows for sure, which is why it's not translated. That's just a transliteration of the Hebrew. Um, some people think it means repeat, like a repeat sign. Uh, some people means, think it means get quiet as in reflect on it peacefully and meditate on it quietly. Um, some people have even thought it meant like a choir, like the choir should join in with this part or something. But whatever it means specifically, the point is what was just said is kind of important and you really need to maybe take a stop and look at that especially. There's a few, there's other words too in the Psalms that are like that, that are transliterations because we really don't know what they mean. They had something to do it. They used to sing them. They like this was their hymn book. They literally sang them out loud. So it had something to do with singing them out loud. In the Orthodox Church, do they repeat uh, like uh, I went once when I was uh, in Sitka. We went to the Russian Orthodox Church to the uh, 
January 6th service, the last day of Christmas, and they had readers. And it's, of course, I don't understand Russian, but it sounded like that they were repeating one psalm three times and then they went to another. Does that make sense? That that may have been what they were doing? I mean, it's possible. I don't know anything about the Orthodox Church, so I can't. It sounded like they were I don't know much about it. And then they read another, and then they, uh, you know, they did it three times, and then they went to another psalm. And that's what I, I, we kind of surmised that that's what they were doing, but of course not understanding the language. Uh, it's possible. I, I don't know enough about the Orthodox Church um, to comment on it. So <laughs> sorry not to help on about that. <laughs> Hello, Josie. All right, I think that's my sign to say it's time to quit. So, <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna pray and we'll close on out for today, and uh, we'll give you guys more information this week on uh, the church and moving forward. Big God, thank you for letting us come together today and Zoom and talk about your word and. Um, how to study it and understand it better. Lord, we're thankful for the fact that you considered all personalities and all people when you wrote scripture and put something in there for everybody, God. And I pray that as we go about our day, as we try to read scripture, Lord, that you help us to be good stewards of your word, good studiers of your word, God, and to just grow closer to you. We love you and we thank you for all that you've done and pray your protection in the days ahead. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 <laughs> I think you're about to get the baby. <laughs> I know. I always hey, get the Chad. baby at this time. Ashley's like, finally you're home here. You can you can take her. <laughs> I need a break. <laughs> I'm usually like, that's fine with me. I haven't seen her all day. Bring her on. <laughs> so I'm gonna get the baby. Yeah. Uh, we'll see y'all. Bye. Bye.